Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Welcome back to the Shema Podcast. I want to dedicate this episode to Rabbi Lazare Brody, who did me a solid yesterday. At the request of my dear friend, Rabbi Ari Wolby, he set up a call for us, and Rabbi Brody gave me some great advice that I want to share with you, because I think it's something that we all need to hear, especially this time of year. And if you're not familiar with Rabbi Brody, he is the master of maximizing Amuna. the very reason that we do everything as Jews. It's the purpose of mitzvot, purpose of Torah study. It's to enhance Amuna. So I would highly recommend any book that he has written. The one I just read yesterday after our talk was The Three Words of Amuna: Time-Tested Secret to Inner Peace, which I would encourage everyone to read. And the reason for the phone call was that this last week, I went through a very challenging time. It seemed like so many different areas of my life were just bearing down on me. And it was just, it was too much weight. I was feeling squeezed. And I spoke to Rabbi Ari Wolby about it first. And, and I was reviewing all my thoughts, words, and actions. Did I do something wrong? Is this retribution for something I did to create these challenges for me? And what Rabbi Brody explained to me was that I just moved into a community with my family. I have literally shifted my entire trajectory of life from being someone that did every sin imaginable to now, as he sort of put it, you're in the big leagues and you're fighting with the world champions. Those that are on the forefront of establishing God's kingship in this world and sanctifying his name. And he was like a coach at a ringside boxing match, telling the fighter the following. He said, do you really think that your Yetzirah is not going to strike back? Do you really think that he is not, in the form of the Satan, going to be petitioning to Hashem? You have to test this guy. If you want to give him these blessings, you have to test him. And it's all a test of Amuna. And so he put it that way, just were you really expecting to not get punched? And I said, no, that makes sense. And he said, so quit whining about getting hit. Strengthen your Amuna and get back in the fight. And that's exactly what I did. And, And I had a dream that night, actually, that I had put it out of my mind until after I spoke to Rabbi Brody. But it woke me up in the middle of the night. It jarred me to no end. And this dream was where I was in a motel room with these three young kids that I was supposed to take and drive to bring them somewhere to meet up with their family. And one of the little boys said, I left something in the motel room. So we, the car was parked right outside. We went inside the motel room. Little boy goes back to get something. I'm standing near the doorway and this nefarious type character walks by. It's like my height, but he's just stocky, solid muscle buzz cut like a marine soldier and he walks by and i acknowledge him i say how are you next thing i know he's just staring at me and the next thing i know his he's standing in the doorway and he begins to walk forward fearless not afraid not inhibited one bit until the next thing i know he's standing in the middle of the motel room staring at me straight in the face it was frightening because i knew he was there for no good reason whatsoever. He was there to do harm. And I had this feeling of anxiety looking at this man, like, how could I take him down? I could not find a place to strike this guy. He was just solid muscle, no neck, squinty eyes. It was just this horrible feeling. I felt totally powerless over this individual that I knew wanted to do me harm. The the boy that was in the room I didn't know what to do, and it was just a horrifying feeling, and it woke me up. And I was so rattled, I just came here into my office and decided to work. And after I spoke to Rabbi Brody, I knew exactly what the dream was. That character, that was my Yetzirah. And I let him into my inner world last week. 
you let them get their foot into the door. Next thing they know, they've commandeered the entire room, your entire inner world, your kingdom. And that's exactly what I did. I let it in by having feelings of doubt, insecurity, and not realizing that all I need is a Muna and Hashem and fulfilling his will and everything's possible. But when I came into my office the other morning, I began to look at my business. We are about to launch this new entity. The press release is going out today. And I wanted to sit back because the entity has evolved so much from when I was originally sort of constructing the idea in my head with my colleagues. And I wanted to go back and look at it with a fresh lens. Get rid of the sunk cost bias, meaning you know, we have this bias to where, like, for instance, we buy a stock at 60, now it's at 30. Sometimes we think, well, I don't want to sell it because I paid 60 for it, but that doesn't matter. That's the marketplace doesn't care what you paid for. What matters is, is would you buy it today? And I wanted to look at, I wanted my colleagues to look at, would we buy this business today and why? How is it going to fit in and to the overall business structure? Make sure we're getting the most out of it. Make sure that 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 sunk cost of frustration and stress and money and time and everything we put into it isn't clouding our vision because the past is the past. It doesn't matter. And I wanted to do a calculation called net present value, but the, the cash flows were too uncertain. I want to explain what net present value is because it applies to Rosh Hashanah. What net present value is, is a way of looking and seeing whether an investment, whether it's a stock or a business or maybe a new factory or whatever it may be, is something that should be pursued. So the way the calculation works, taking into account the time value of money, is that you're looking at the cash outflow to make the investment and potentially any cash outflows in the future. And it's looking at cash inflows from the business. And discounting back all those cash flows based off that required return, that discount rate, the required return we would need to make that business worthwhile, to make it better than any other opportunity that may present themselves. And if the number comes back positive, if you have a positive net present value, it's a good investment. Move forward. And if it's not, it's a bad investment. Don't do it or sell it. I was having struggle doing this for my business because there's too many variables, but I was thinking of something. And it shifted my focus after that conversation with Rabbi Brody to a more important business plan, the real business plan that we all have. Rosh Hashanah is approaching, and it's a new year. And what is the only job we want? It's to be here. It's to be in God's world, being constructive and productive for him and establishing his kingship here. That's it. Everything else is ancillary. My livelihood, just a way to finance all the things I need to do in order to do my real job, which is establishing his kingship in this world. And so what is God doing this time of year? He's doing a net present value analysis on each of us. He's looking out to the future and he's looking at all the cash outflows, all the negative mitzvot that God willing, I hope I don't do, but I may do. And he's looking at all the, all the mitzvot that I do do cash inflows. And if I do error, and violate a mitzvot, and I do teshuva for it with love, then that turns into an even greater positive cash flow. And he's discounting all that back and seeing, is Dan's present value positive? Is he going to be valuable to me in this world? Because if he's not, there's really no purpose for him being here. And I was thinking, why do I want this job for another year? And one of the reasons is, is I know that my Wife and daughter may miss me not being here. I provided for them. I've worked out everything in case he does ever decide to fire me from this position and pull my soul out of my body. So they would be financially taken care of, but I think they would really miss me being here. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is I don't want to leave this world with a little paltry investment account amidst vote. I want to be a one percenter like the torch rabbis. I want to have an abundance of mitzvot I leave this world with that I can present to Hashem. And the third reason is this, and this was what I found to be the most powerful, and that was as I reflect on the sheer tremendous level of patience, of generosity and kindness that God has had with me over the years, I feel so indebted that I, I want 
to be here. I want to contribute more. I want to do more. And so I was thinking, what should I put in my business plan to make it so powerful, such a huge contribution to God's world that he will want me here? And not only will he want me here for another year, but it will be such an, an abundance of work and tasks that I have planned to do for him that he'll know that I, I need all my time this next year, all 52 weeks to get it done. So he won't want to make me sick and sideline me to a bed for a few weeks while I recover. So I was thinking, what is it? What can I propose? And of course, it's the continuation of my Torah learning. It's taking it to a new level. You know, I'm now studying Talmud in Hebrew with Rabbi Wolby, which is very taxing for me because I'm, there's such a language barrier. I'm so new to Hebrew. I'm going to push forward and I'm going to learn how to do that for, for God because that's so important to him. I'm going to do more of these podcasts, God willing, where we get together and we learn from these rabbis I bring on. I have many me dote I want to fix. But I'll tell you what I think is the biggest thing that I am proposing on my business plan this year. And it's probably the biggest thing any Jew can do. Around 16, 17 years ago, before I became religious, I read a book by Brian Greene called The Elegant Universe. And it was a book discussing string theory. And what string theory is, is the idea that as physicists have broken down the subatomic particles and they've gone further and further, eventually the construct of all matter is not particles, but vibrating strings, meaning that different frequencies of vibrations are the building material of everything that you see around you, including your body. Just different combinations of vibrations that construct all the matter. It's mind-boggling. And right now, this is still sort of theoretical for the physicists, but I will tell them that this is actually true because this is exactly what the Torah says, that God created the world with emanations. He created the world with the Hebrew language using the Torah as a blueprint for creation. In other words, he created the universe. He sustains the universe by the Hebrew letters, by emanating the vibrational frequencies of those letters and all the various combinations to create everything around us. And so what that means for us when we pray in Hebrew is that we are actually, when there's a minion of Jews who get together and articulate those prayers in Hebrew, they are actually, those words are penetrating the very fabric of the universe. This is one of the ways in which we are in the image of God. He made us speaking beings because we can contribute to his world through our speech. And when Jews are praying and asking for those blessings, it's literally like a programming code that is influencing the construct of the world. And that is why there's something very unique to the Jewish people. And that is that you would never encounter a conversation where you have an American who meets someone from Mexico, and the, and the American says to the person from Mexico, I know Spanish. And the person from Mexico, their face brightens up, and they immediately start talking in Spanish. And the American says, whoa, whoa, I don't understand a word you're saying. And the person from Mexico says, I thought you knew Spanish. And the American says, no, 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 no. I know how to read it. I don't know what it means. As you can see, this is something that doesn't happen in any other culture. Either you know how to read it and comprehend it, or you don't know the language. With us, it's different. With us, when someone says, I know Hebrew, it could mean they just know how to translate the Hebrew letters into sounds. And it also could mean they know how to translate the Hebrew letters into sounds and they know what it means. And the reason there's that difference with us is because when a Jew is articulating those words, it's having a profound impact on the world, regardless of whether they know what those words mean. It would be like if I was having a computer problem, and I asked a friend who was a computer programmer to help me out. And he said, if you really want to fix the program, get past the Windows environment. And he shows me how to get past the Windows and get into the programming code. And then he tells me what to type into my keyboard, a series of letters and symbols and numbers. And then he says, now hit enter, the computer reboots, the problem is fixed. 
Now, I have no idea what I typed in, but he told me the code. And that is exactly what happens when we pray. And so this is something I want to do. I want to stand with my brothers and I want to bring down blessings into the world by saying those words in Hebrew, but also knowing what they mean. And right now, this is a huge area of frustration because I am so new to Hebrew. I I struggle just reading it fluidly and my peers read it so fast. And so I, I go into the shul and I have my art scroll sitter with training wheels that has... Hebrew, transliteration, and English. And if I try to read Hebrew, I get so far behind. And I'll switch to the transliteration and try to move it along, and I always end up in English. It seems so impossible that we'll ever be able to have this skill set. But I know that this is what I want. It's something I can ask for from God. It's something that I just need the desire. I need to develop the desire to do this for Him, and He will make it all happen. It seems impossible for my finite mind how I will develop this skill set but I have a finite mind. God is infinite. And so if I just develop this desire and, and pray for it over these upcoming days, I know he'll, he'll give me the ability to do this for him. But this is what Rosh Hashanah is about. It's about establishing God's kingship in this world. And I wanted to make sure that I got the most out of it, that we all got the most out of it. So I invite on Rabbi Wolgenlinter to discuss this in more depth. Rabbi Wolgenlinter, I am so happy you're here to share with us your knowledge about Rosh Hashanah so we can get the most out of it. Thank you. Thank you again, Dan. It's always incredible to sit with you. And this one, I think I have to give a special shout out to my wife. In the hectic days leading up to Rosh Hashanah, she's allowed me to come sit with you. So let's make the most of our time. We're going to pack it in. Absolutely. So tell us, what do, what do we need to know? What is the holiday about? How do we need to prepare for it? The one thing I love about interviewing you is you always give action items. It's never theoretical. It's like, I know exactly what to do to change who I am or, or get the most of a situation. So bring that to us. I love it. That's, that's exactly my goal. I want this as like the power hour. We're going to come out of this with a to-do list. It's so, so important as we get into Rosh Hashanah. As you mentioned in the intro, talking about the Day of Judgment, it, is, it can be daunting. It can be scary. It can be overwhelming for people as they go into this, especially if you've prepared correctly and used the month before as sort of a time for introspection and thinking about how your merits and your sins possibly can be a a very intense time. And I want to focus and bring out about Rosh Hashanah, some maybe of the beauty, and not to say that it's not the day of judgment. It is the day of judgment. But let's look at how Jews celebrate Rosh Hashanah, because we know the way that our customs have evolved over time are deeply rooted in the right way of doing things. So, you know, we say in Hebrew, Minhag Yisrael Torah, that the customs of the Jewish people become almost like the Torah. It's like the... That's the way you're supposed to do it. So how do we do it? It's the day of judgment. You could imagine we probably stay in synagogue or somewhere safe or hiding under our bed. Pick your spot. And we hope that we don't get zapped for our our past year. And we hope that someone takes notice, someone up there takes notice of some of the good stuff that we did. And then we hope probably have a fast day. I would say that would be a nice idea is like don't distract yourself with food. Probably really a serious day and spend the the entire day in prayer. And then hope we come out the other end uh, meritorious, right? That we had uh, more good stuff than bad stuff. But in fact, when you look at it, and how do we celebrate it? Like a holiday. We sit around with our family. We enjoy delicious yuntif holiday meals. We do spend time in prayer. But when you dig into the words of the prayers that we're saying, we're not saying much about the day of judgment. There's not a lot of supplications and prayers where we turn to Hashem during prayer and we say, God, notice the good things that I did and please pass over the bad things. That's not the majority of our prayer on Rosh Hashanah. So it's got to indicate, there's something indicating to me that actually the focus of Rosh Hashanah needs to be shifted and we need to really kind of get an idea, what are we doing, and use the prayer when you need to understand the essence of the, a day on the Jewish calendar, 
Look at the special prayers of that day. Look at what they say. Look at what their focus is, because that should be your focus during the day. This holiday is called Rosh Hashanah. There are many other words that we could use to describe the beginning of the year. You could say Tehillat Hashanah. The Tehillah, the beginning of the year. There are other words in Hebrew that we could have said. This is kicking off our year. This is our the beginning of the year. But what, what word did we choose? Did the rabbis choose to call this? Call Rosh Hashanah. What's a Rosh? A Rosh is a head. This is called the head of the year. It's not just the beginning of the year. That we would understand. It's true on our calendar. It's the Jewish New Year. Like you tell people in the in the grocery store, you know, this is yeah. There's a holiday coming up. Yep, yep. It's the Jewish New Year, and they're thinking, you know, twelve o'clock, middle of the night, party hats, and a lot of drinking, fireworks, balls dropping. Right? It's a little different than that. But what is it? What is it? It's not the Jewish New Year. It's the Rosh Hashanah. It's the it's the head of the year. And what's the idea? The rabbis tell us the head of the year. The head of the human body is where all action for the human being begins. All the impulses that are sent all out through your body to tell your muscle to lift and your arm to go down and your leg to walk next, and even internally what we don't necessarily sense or focus on but breathe in, breathe out, all of those things, all of those impulses and those actions start in the head. Which means that the head, when we use that word, rosh, head, what we're talking about is this is what is going to send the direction, the impulses, the instructions for the rest of the year. It's all being defined here on this day. And so that means that our general focus, in a very general sense on this day, has to be on what is the direction of my coming year going to look like. And maybe we'll talk later about how I see this in the various prayers that we say and in the things that we do. But that is a very general idea. When I come into Rosh Hashanah, I say, what is my job to do? It is my job to take the time on Rosh Hashanah for introspection to think about what is the direction for my year. Like when you're setting up a business. You even mentioned it in the intro. You don't just sit down and start a business. You got to run the numbers. You have to come up with a business plan. You're looking for investors. You got to go out there. You better have some pretty business plans typed up and to present to them with a nice plastic cover. Got to be nice, maybe even leather bound if it's a real business, right? But you better have a business plan. I want to know where you're going. I want to know what year five through 10 looks like for this business. I want to know what the future holds. What is the mission statement of what is going to drive the rest of the existence of this business? And we come to Hashem on this day and we say, I'm a business. Invest in me. Like you said, we're asking for some more time. I want you to invest in me. I'm asking for an investor. I'm asking for the greatest investor anyone could ever ask for. And so I say to my number one investor, I say to God, I say, here's my plan. Here's my mission statement. Here's the direction that I'm going in. And I start developing the steps that I'm going to take to accomplish my mission. That's what I do. That can be really the thought that can take you through the entire Rosh Hashanah. Because when you sit down with your family, it's a time to say, this is what's important to me. Look, God, deep, deep inside of me, I may be pulled in many different directions, but I sit down with my family, with my guests, I open my home for other people, I, I'm eating with other people, I'm celebrating with other people. You know what the celebration is? It's a celebration of a big group of people defining their mission statement. Their Rosh, their head of the year is being defined. It, this is going to send out all for all their actions. It's going to affect all their actions for the rest of the year. And so that's the idea behind the name, which is really the starting point for every holiday. Look at the name. Look at what we call it. That tells us so much about what we're supposed to be thinking. I'll share a story with you. There's a story, a famous story about one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's. It was the Rebbe Rashab, um, as he is known. He was said to have been walking through the street, kind of thinking, probably thinking a Torah thought. He was deep in, in thought. And he was sort of walking through the street late at night. And the czar's soldier comes up to him and says, where are your papers? Who are you? I demand to know, where are you going? And he's startled out of his thought. And he looks up at the soldier, and he doesn't miss a beat. He says to him, I don't know how much they pay you, but whatever they pay you, I will pay you double to come and ask me that question every single day. 
If you'll come and ask me that question every day, I'll pay you double whatever they pay you because I need that question every day. I need a constant reminder. Who are you and where are you headed? Where are you going? And it's that time on Rosh Hashanah that we can spend. Just use the time to just think about that. Who am I and where am I going? Who am I really and where am I going? When you look deeper into the prayers on Rosh Hashanah, you really start noticing that the focus is much less about the day of judgment and the actual activity of being judged, which, like we said, would create a whole different environment. We wouldn't be sitting in festive meals, walking around just like regular people on Rosh Hashanah celebrating a holiday. The day of judgment aspect and element would create an entirely different vibe on Rosh Hashanah. But when you look into the prayers, you see that we're really focused on much bigger things than just my own personal day of judgment. And when you read these paragraphs, and I encourage everyone, don't let Rosh Hashanah be the first time that you, the Rosh Hashanah, you know, morning, when you get to shul, be the first time that you open the machzor. If you have access to it, of course, it's online. But you get a machzor and start looking at the silent amidah, through the nighttime prayer, the morning prayer, the Musaf prayer, Mincha prayer, all the prayers, they all have a silent Amidah, okay? That's the section of the Siddur. When you look at that and you look at the special part that we say only on Rosh Hashanah, we obviously always start the Amidah with remembering that we are, that Hashem is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We always start with the standard beginning and you always have the standard end. But look at the meat in the middle and go to the morning prayer, look at the Amidah, and you will see that all the paragraphs, everything that we are talking about is focused on our place in the global mission, in the global mission, which we know to be the global mission of bringing godliness into the world. This is what we are told by the rabbis. This is this is Hashem's, so to speak, deepest desire. Hashem's deepest desire is that he should be revealed even in a world that looks like ours, right? Even with all the stuff going on, when you can shine some light of Hashem, this godliness, goodness, kindness, when you can bring that out into the world, that is a really much bigger than our own personal mission. The prayers are focused on this global mission, and we pray that we should we should see a day when it is like we say in the times of the coming of Mashiach. We should see a day when the entire world is full of the knowledge of God. There is not a corner in the world that will be devoid at that time of a knowledge of God. And we pray that is the prayer of Rosh Hashanah. The prayer of Rosh Hashanah is that is what I want. What do I want? Not a Snickers, not a new car, not some nice new pants or even a great pair of shoes, what do I want? I want your presence to be felt more in the world until we can get to the ultimate goal when it fills every corner of the world. And that those are the prayers. So when you look at the prayers, it's not about, it's not Yom Kippur. It's not al on the sin that I did for this and on the sin that I did for this. This is not the time for that. This is the time, like we said, for defining what the mission and how, what the mission of the world is, and how we fit into that mission. I always sort of had a question about, it seems like Yom Kippur should be first. Like first, you know, ask for forgiveness for everything, and then go into Rosh Hashanah and say, and then sort of present your plan, but like get all the bad stuff, the old employee file, get that ripped up, and then present, you know, where you're going. Why is it done that way? Very good. So right, it does seem out of order. But with what we're saying, I think it becomes more understandable, even though you're right, there is a certain logic to getting rid of all the old numbers and listen, this is the way they used to do it. It's we're not doing it like that anymore. So let's start fresh. That's true. But before I can even honestly come to God and say, I'm sorry for what I did. I have to first establish that my desire is to have a relationship with you. That's my goal. My goal is to have a relationship. My goal is to bring more of you, God, into the world. That's my goal. Okay, that's my goal. Now I can start 
honestly feeling bad about what I did. If not, it becomes sort of lip service. Like you said, you take the whole old Excel file and you don't even look through those names. You just get rid of the whole thing. It's like you're not even putting in any effort. So you just sit there and say on the sin, on the sin, on the sin, you kind of clean it all out. But are you honestly doing that? No. First, define, I want to have a relationship with Hashem. I, this is the direction that I set on Rosh Hashanah. At the head of the year, this is the direction that I set for the year. Ah, now you're set up. Now you actually can engage in that emotional experience of feeling bad, which is integral to the tshuva process, right? Integral to uncovering the real us and and really implementing our business plan, integral to that is having that experience of I feel terrible for what I've done. Why? Because it flies in the face of my mission statement. It goes exactly against what I already set up on Rosh Hashanah previously. I want to focus on the next part of prayer, which only shows up in the Musaf prayer, which is, if you think about the structure, listen, it's been a year since we did Rosh Hashanah, so let's do a little refresher. You have the morning prayer, then you blow the shofar, smack in the middle, you read the Torah, you blow the shofar, and then you have the Musaf prayer. Now, in the Musaf prayer, in Musaf, you have three sections, and these three sections are actually, the Talmud says, that this was the way that God ordained that we should celebrate Rosh Hashanah was with these three sections of prayer, all contained within Musaf, but these three sections. What are the three sections? So we have one section that discusses Malchiot, which is the kingship, like Melech, the kingship of God. We have one section which describes and talks about Zichronot, which is the remembrances of God. And then we have the third section, which is Shofrot, describing the Shofar. And the way that these are structured is that we have many verses in each one of these sections from the Torah, from the prophets, and from the writings. So it goes across the entire canon, the entire Tanakh. Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, we go across the whole thing and we pull out special verses that have to do with this topic. So the first topic, Malchiot, is the topic of kingship. So if you look at those verses, it goes one after another after another of verses that basically say, Hashem is the king of the world. (laughs) Hashem rules the world. That's your first section. The second section, Zichronot, same thing. We cull from all the way across Tanakh, from the Torah, from Nevi'im, from Kisuvim. We get little bite-sized pieces, little verses that talk about when God remembered a person, when it specifically says God remembered a specific person. So we have it by the our foremothers, by Sarah and Rebecca, when they couldn't have children. It says specifically God remembered them. And then they were able to have children. It's this connection of God to the world. The remembrance. So that's why it's called the remembrance of God, or the fact that God has the power to remember, to be thinking, to be in tune with human beings. That's what we're focused on in the second section. Let me ask a question there. The idea of God forgetting something and then remembering obviously is not accurate. Can you elaborate a little more on what that means that he remembers someone? Very good. So in Hebrew, we use the word zecher in this section, which means, translates loosely as to remember. But in, when you look at the commentaries about these rememberings that God did, there was no forgetting. There's no remembering. It's not a human experience. Uh, it's the closest thing that we can, the closest word that we can use, but maybe it would be an even better word to use. The word would be focus. As opposed to remembering, which would imply that before that state there was a forgetting, rather it would be a focus or a concentration of focus. So where God may have been, not because he's not able to focus on everyone, but because God chose to, let's say, give children to this person. Person A, and chose at that point not to give children or give blessing or whatever it may be to person B. So then when God turns his focus to person B, he then makes that choice to give them those blessings. 
where in some of those examples, it was children and those types of things. In general, good stuff. When God starts paying attention, when God focuses, it's like a opening of a pipeline down towards you. And I think really kind of off topic of Rosh Hashanah, but I think it's worthwhile mentioning, we experience times in our lives when things are going well, and it kind of feels like, you know, like the shower's on. And at other times, we experience times when things just aren't working, and then you lose your car keys on your way out the door. You can't find your car keys, right? You're late to the meeting, and then you hit traffic, and it's just like stuff's not working. And then you're walking into the building, and the coffee spills on your shirt. We all have times in our lives. They last different amounts of times, but we all have times in our lives when stuff is working and stuff is not working. And what we, you know, on a daily basis, what we pray for is God should turn his face towards us, that we should experience that flow from God, that flow of blessing. A lot of it has to do only with God, and that's why we use the word zecher, to remember is an English translation, but really what it means is God's focus, turning his focus to someone and saying, it's your time. So it's, it's not necessarily that he has focus on the, the needs of an insect and on my needs simultaneously. It sounds like it's more of a, because he's outside of time, he knows what's in our best interest. It's more of the timing is right for me now to give this to you. Exactly, exactly. And then he opens the spigot. He opens it up and it starts flowing. Exactly, exactly. That's the second section. The third section, Shofarot, has all the verses that discuss the blowing of the shofar in the Torah. And we'll get there in a minute, but we'll talk about when was did they blow the shofar in the Torah. We'll talk about it. But let's go back and kind of get something practical to think about as we say each of these, because they can appear to be a little bit disconnected and random. Remember, we're gathering verses together into a prayer that are scattered all across the Torah. Torah, prophets, and writings. So they're really scattered far and widely apart, and sometimes we're pulling them out of context, and they can seem scattered. You'll always notice that they'll have a word that connects them to that section, whether it be kingship, remembering, or shofar, but they can seem kind of scattered. So I think it's worthwhile to think of something practical, an overlying thought that we can have while we're reciting these verses. And then try to find these ideas within the verses. That's like level two, okay? That's advanced level, is to apply this to the actual verses. But go to the first section, Malchiot, kingship. What we are saying is, if God is the king, then we are his people. And if we are his people, then I have to realize that I'm here for a reason. I'm here to do the will of the king. Like all the subjects in a kingdom are there and they only can go to their own work if the king allows them to. They only tend to their own needs at the behest of the king if he gives them permission. But if the king says, I need to enlist a hundred strong men to build the moat, then you go build the moat. You do what the king wants you to do. And so when we say in section number one, in the Musaf prayer... Hashem is the king, what we are saying is, I want the focus of my year to be that to a realization and an actualization that I am created for a purpose, that that purpose is to do only the will of Hashem, and another element to think about is that if God is the king and in control of everything around me, and me in control of my situation, in control of my environment, then there has to be a reason why I'm here. It's not just by chance. The king decides to put people in certain places for a reason. Your spot may be in a far-flung country to be the ambassador to this far-flung country for the king. Well, that's your job. And I sort of see that, you know, when you think about our mission, it's kind of like, let's go spread godliness in the world. That's a personal mission. It's a national mission. It's a global mission. That's our mission. Okay. But God says, 
I don't need you right next to me to spread the spread the news. I can do the good job from my by myself in the palace. I need you in the far reaches of the kingdom. I need you in the four corners of the world. Go spread out to the four corners of the world and spread this message. Go bring more godliness in the world. And so as I say it over and over again, Hashem is the king. And we say it so many times during the prayer, not just in this section. Hashem is the king. Hashem is the king. Hashem is the king. Realize that's not a one-sided discussion. It's not just Hashem is the king. Hashem is the king, and I am his subject. Hashem is in control, and I have a mission to do. What, and I am going to spend time on Rosh Hashanah while I say these verses to think about that mission and think about how I develop it, think about how I'm going to accomplish that mission. So it's a really beautiful time. And we'll get there because I think that that's also an element, that knowledge that we have deep down inside of us, that we really have a different mission than what it looks like, what we're doing for a lot of hours during the day. It'll come out in our prayers, and I'll show you where. Let's get to the next section. Zichronot, the section of remembrances, is understanding while we say these verses that God turned and looked and gave to people in in our history, in our entire Torah, looking at examples of people that Hashem remembered. What that tells me is that I need to internalize the message that while I'm accomplishing this mission, I'm not alone. There's someone watching over me. There's someone looking down and walking hand in hand next to me, right? Holding my hand as I accomplish my mission. So he's going to do things to help me accomplish my mission. He's going to do things if I'm looking for it. Like they say, if you're listening to the messages, then you're going to hear them. You could hear on some level, you could hear God sending you messages and telling you, you're doing the right thing. Keep going. You got to keep doing that. And that is the section of remembrances. It means that God is intimately connected with his subjects, even though they're so far away. All these businesses switched over to remote. Everyone's working from home. And you have some people that are struggling with it. But you talk to other companies and they say, oh, no, we embrace technology. If you want to drop into someone's desk, it's the same as the office. You just Microsoft Teams. You're, in their, you're at their desk. You're on their screen. I mean, yeah, they have to accept it, but they embrace technology. What's that idea? How, why are those businesses seeing success even though they've moved to a remote setting? Is because they're keeping that connection going. They're keeping that feeling, that feeling that they can collaborate. They can depend on each other. They can work with each other. And I think it's the same thing here. We say God remembered all this long list of people in our history when God remembered Noah and when God remembered Sarah, when God remembered Rebecca, when he remembered Rivka, when he remembered all these great people in our history. And we have to say, I have to go through life with that same understanding that God's looking at me too. God's walking here, looking, with, looking at me, walking with me. He's thinking about me, and he's going to help me every step of the way. Practical thing to think about during that second section. And let's get to Shofros. Shofros. So the third section, you have the Shofros. Reading of the verses discussing when the Shofar was blown in the Torah. And when we're told it will be blown in the future. And I just gave you a hint, because we said before, where do they blow a Shofar? Where do you have a Shofar in the Torah? At the giving of the Torah, at the revelation of Mount Sinai, it says that it was huge sounds of shofars, shofar sounds. And we're told that Mashiach, in the time of the coming of the Messiah, first moment of the Mashiach time will be, you'll hear the sound of the shofar throughout the world. It's wild. What's the shofar? I thought it was just this thing that they blow on Rosh Hashanah. And now you're telling me this is connected to like major events in our history and in our future? So why are we focused on the shofar in this prayer? The focus on the shofar is, is that we already said, God is the king, which means that I have a mission. I have a reason to be here to do the will of God. That's section number one. Section number two was, I'm not alone. God is with me as I accomplish my mission, with me every step of the way. Section number three, shofaros, shofar means revelation. Shofar means on some level, clarity. Think about the sound of the shofar, that clear, cutting, crying sound. It represents so many things, but on all levels, the main sound that we blow is a clear, straight sound. It's the audible experience of revelation. 
It's what revelation would sound like is the shofar. And that's why when God reveals himself on Mount Sinai, when God comes to the Jewish people and gives them the first of the Ten Commandments and he's revealed in front of them, I am God, I am the Lord, your king, I am the Lord, your God. When God is revealed to the Jewish people, you know what sound accompanies that experience? The sound of the shofar, the sound of revelation. And eventually, when we get to the time of the coming of Mashiach, guess what sound comes along with it? The sound of the shofar, because that will be the ultimate time of revelation when the entire world experiences revelation. When the entire world gets this clarity of thought, no confusion, you can see straight to the goal, straight to the mission. And that's why we mention the verses of the shofar. It's exactly what we're saying. We're saying, I want to be connected to that revelation that took place at Mount Sinai, that experience, and I want to be connected to hastening and bringing closer the eventual revelation at the time of Mashiach. I want to bring more godliness into the world because that is revelation. I'm going to bring out little pieces of clarity. I'm going to bring them into the world through my thoughts, through my deeds, through my actions, through how I interact with my family, my friends, my community, the world at large, I'm going to be a person who is bringing more godliness into the world. I'm going to be the one who brings more revelation into the world. So we have three beautiful, I believe, beautiful things that I have heard from my rabbis that I wanted to share with you, three beautiful things that we can think about while we say this prayer, which is really the height of the service, because in the repetition, we're going to say them again. When the chazan says it out loud, that's when there's a lot of singing. The chazan says it out loud, and we blow the shofar accompanying each of these steps. Each of these steps, we blow the shofar with it. We break it up with the shofar sound, and which is the main activity that we do in shul. It's probably the, the shofar is the central symbol of Rosh Hashanah. And it's so important to understand why it's woven into these prayers, but really to think practically what to think about while we say these verses that may seem scattered and pulled from across Torah have something practical to think about. I think it's worthwhile. Why is the idea of clarity, which is revelation, revelation just getting past the fall, getting clarity, and why is that associated with that sound? Physically, what is actually coming out when we blow the shofar? What's act- air, air, our breath, a breath from deep down inside of us that the guy blowing the shofar pushes through that horn and it makes that sound, that expression. Let's talk about the source of that breath. How did that breath get inside of us? And don't think about you and me today. That's an easy answer. We know we breathed it in. But let's go back to the first man, to the beginning of creation. How did that breath get inside man? He's a piece of the ground, formed out of the ground, and given life by? God, he blew a soul into his nose. Ah, God blew that breath, that soul, that being alive. God put that into man. So there's something very connected to God about that first breath and then about every other breath that takes place, meaning the fact that we actually have a life force inside of us, the fact that we are actually alive, there's something very closely connected between that breath and God. It came from God. Our ability to be alive, in fact, in the actual thing that keeps us alive, breathing in and breathing out, started with a breath from God. And so what the rabbis tell us in a beautiful explanation is that the, when we blow the shofar, what we are allowing to express itself is our deepest, the deepest part of us, which came directly from God. And in fact, we're told it's a piece of God that was put inside of us. That breath, that soul is really a piece of God put inside of us. What we are doing is saying, I want that soul to express itself in the world. And so I take that breath and I allow it to express itself. Now, you and I know if you sit in a quiet room and you breathe out, no matter how heavily, it's not really going to have an effect on it on the world around you. What we say is, how do you make that breath have an effect? Well, 
put it through a shofar. Watch what happens. Your simple breath that you could let out as a silent, a silent breath, just letting out a breath, you put that same breath through a shofar, and all of a sudden, it has expression. It's able to express itself in the world. So again, I take the deepest part of me, my breath, that part of me that is so inherently, intrinsically connected to God, and I bring it out into the world. It's basically, the shofar is the cry of our deepest part of our soul, expressing itself, allowing itself to shine forth in the world, and really affecting what our goals are for the coming year. This is us saying, I want to be a soul in this world. I want to allow my soul to shine. Our body sometimes gets in the way. They talk about it in a negative way, our physical desires, our ego, but our body gets in the way. It has needs. It has things that it needs to do. It has selfish activities that it needs to partake in. And what we say through the shofar, and I think this is something that you can close your eyes when they're blowing the shofar and say, yeah, I'm not blowing it. He's blowing it, right? The chazan is blowing it. The bal tokea is blowing it. There's one guy blowing it in the middle. Okay, but I'm making the same expression. I'm making the same statement. I want my soul to be allowed to shine into the world, to affect the world, to change the world. That sound, sound has an effect on the environment around it. I want my soul to be able to do that. It's all part of our mission for the year. It's all part of focusing on what our goals are for the year. So on a basic level, that is the sound of the chauffeur. Close your eyes when you hear the sound and say, yeah, I want that deepest part of me that's directly connected with God, my soul, to be able in the coming year to express itself, get my body out of the way. I'll tell you one more idea. The rabbis say in the Talmud, if you could put words to the shofar sound, what would the shofar say, <laughs> okay? And the rabbis say, the shofar would say, wake up, ye slumberers, uru, wake up, yeshenim, you slumberers, mishinaschem, from your sleep. So on a basic level, obviously, that means stop leading the life that you're leading, wake up. But let's go one step deeper. When you sleep, that's like the ultimate selfish activity. You can't possibly be doing kindness while you sleep. You're doing it because you need sleep. Now, you may be sleeping so you could pray the next day, study the next day. That's true. But in the end of the day, sleep is for you, says the shofar. If the shofar could speak, if the sound of the shofar could express itself in words, tell the rabbis tell us, wake up, you slumberer. Stop engaging in selfish activities. Live for something bigger. And when we come to Rosh Hashanah, you want to talk about one thought to have the entire Rosh Hashanah? I want to live for something bigger. I want to stop, cut away all the selfish stuff, and I want to live for something bigger. And now you go fill in the blank. What's that bigger purpose? Who defines that bigger purpose? Who is in control of that bigger purpose? God, the king. That's why we're focused on God being the king, because he defines the purpose and my expression on Rosh Hashanah is, I want to wake up from just thinking about myself. I want to wake up from that selfish, those selfish activities, the sleep of my life, the sleep periods of my life, not physical sleep, the times when I'm selfish, the times when I'm not thinking about my greater mission. And I want to change that. I want to blow the shofar the entire year. I want to allow my soul to come flying out. Let, it, let the whole world experience this godliness. I want to share it with the entire world through my thoughts, through my actions, through my deeds, through everything, through who I am. That's what we do. And that's the sound of the shofar. Wake up from your slumber. Uru The shofar, the cry of the depth of our soul. Beautiful, Rabbi. Those are all extremely powerful ideas. And I appreciate you sharing those with me and the audience Thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're amazing. And to you, to all the listeners, Shana Tova Umituka, a sweet and happy and healthy new year. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.